Hello, good morning, Lucy here. Just some some thoughts about the link between addiction and narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder, just while I'm doing a little bit of research just now. There are absolutely, I mean, it is not in dispute that there are links between narcissistic personality disorder and the behaviours associated with that and addiction. Because narcissistic personality disorder, of course, is, 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 uh, is all about compulsive, dark, damaging behaviours risk-taking, impulse control issues, and the inability to see through the, the the ego issues and the rage and the hate and the pain that's already going on within the narcissist in the same way that somebody in the throes of an addiction, um, particularly either relapse or uh, desperately trying to hold on to sobriety, whether that be from alcohol, drugs, such as cocaine and Valium, or sex, gambling, you know, whatever the the poison is, shall we say, narcissistic personality disorders, absolutely the same in that when they're in that fog of hate, same way that they're in the fog and the throes of the addiction, they cannot see through it and see past it. The, the empathy is gone. Empathy is, just doesn't exist. And uh, often narcissists in particular will have addictive beha- uh, addictions. And again, that's a slightly different thing because the reason why they'll have the addictions is, yes, impulse control issues. Yes, risk-taking issues. Yes, a desire and a need for some form of chemical to um, fill the holes in their soul and balance them out because obviously they are 100% all the time chaotic. They just, they're like a swan paddling under the water but looking kind of normal on the surface. Um and however, with, with, with narcissists in particular, because they don't f- really care about how their uh, addiction and addictive behaviours affect and hurt those around them, there's a narcissistic element in that also. So it was an interesting conversation that I had with somebody who said, while someone is actively behaving in a chaotic and apparently jealous way and is behaving so determined and doggedly trying to get at you and hurt you and destroy you and ruin what you are building or have built. This applies to all of us out there who have recovered uh, from abuse or from trauma. While there is somebody doing that, if they have addictions, whether they're in an active, she called it an active addiction, which I thought was reminded me of years ago when I used to go out with somebody who had addictions, active addictions, they're in active, the throes of active addiction is what she said. She said, Nothing and no one matters apart from the person that they are most jealous of at that point. And it's highly likely that that person or persons that the addicted person is most jealous of and most targeting is who he or she wants to be like. So when you are being targeted and you feel very much... uh, hunted and under pressure and 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 yeah targeted stalked harassed abused bullied by someone who is known to have an addiction the chances are he or she is doing this to you because you are everything they want to be you are recovered from your addictions as i am i have recovered from the the chemical dependencies i had for a short time as a result of uh, abuse i've recovered from the abuse I've recovered from my addiction to relationships to make myself feel better. I've recovered in such a powerful and strong and startling way. I've really genuinely have risen from the ashes. And those those ashes were pretty deep. (laughs) And I can understand that there will be avarice and envy 
and there will be people of all genders who are unable to find that strength inside them to move forward and move on out of their past and what is weighing them down, whether it is an addiction, whether it is trauma, um, whether it is their need for other human beings to feel better and to feel human themselves. I've moved past that. So anyone who hasn't got to that point, it is understandable that they will be really hateful and jealous of someone who has. And I have to forgive and understand. I can't, I never felt that. I have to say when I was in my um, cycle of self-harming and harming others and, and self-harming and harming others when my eating disorder and alcohol and chemicals and men and men and men, I don't ever remember genuinely feeling jealousy or avarice towards another man or woman who wasn't in that. I remember feeling sadness and seeing other people going about their normal days and seeing people having children or getting married, you know, on Facebook's a bugger for that. It does really, can it really can knock your confidence. Um, I can remember feeling sad. I don't ever remember feeling jealous and I don't remember feeling hate. I don't ever remember seeing somebody who was in a place I wanted to be who was clean of drugs, making a life for herself, you know, clean of men, very happily single, but enjoying men when she can. Um, I don't, and you know, and, and pretty and fit and lovely children and a lovely home and, you know, planning things for the future. I don't ever remember seeing her, shall we say, on Facebook or seeing her um, anywhere, you know, in the street or even having someone in my circle like that where I hated her. I don't. So I wonder if when there is that level of bile and exaggerated feelings against that person, that's because that the person feeling or claiming to feel those feelings is inactive addiction. Because the hack, there cannot be another reason for another human being being so despicable to one who has been through the same that he or she has. I think that's the thing is if when we're all in a tribe here, all of us, all of us, you listening there, we're all in a tribe of people who are trying to survive life and get through the trauma we've been in, trauma we're in. And I cannot understand another human being wanting to drag or bring anyone back who is that bit further on in their recovery. I just cannot understand it. But maybe that just means I'm just not like them. Hello everyone, let's do part two of this little series. MPD abuse causes people to act irrationally because the abuse itself has been irrational. It has been complex and confusing and a roller coaster of abuse types and abuse manifestations and abuse outcomes. And at the end of the day, it is a manipulation and it is a violence on your mind. That's why it works. The mind is extremely strong, but it's also extremely fragile and malleable and emotions cloud how you feel when you're being, when you're madly in love, but when you're also being uh, treated to apathy, which is just completely ignored, which is one of the narcissist's favorite tools. And the bit in the middle, which is the abuse. Your brain gets absolutely fudged up, totally and utterly. So your reactions to that will be a complete fudge up. You know, you will act 
in a very fudgy way, <laughs> I'm trying not to swear, you will act crazy, mental, unhinged, deranged, because you never know what's coming next. You don't know what's happened. You don't know uh, why it's happening. So what it tends to happen is your body and your brain will, will start to try and kick into survival mode. So this is when you will start to have issues with uh, addictive behavior, compulsive behavior. So your body is trying to do the right thing, but it manifests in the wrong thing, particularly when it's quite extreme. So compulsive behavior is the topic here. So more often than not, unfortunately, victims of domestic abuse and narcissistic personality disorder abuse in particular, men or women, Victims will behave in quite a compulsive way. They can act and appear unhinged online, stalkery and engage in stalking behaviours. Stalking is a compulsive act. It is a compulsive behaviour. The brain is both saying this is okay to look at all of this person's social media accounts. This is okay to comment on their feed or troll them. This is the, this is, it's okay to be using fake accounts. It's okay to be using my friends. It's okay to be using my colleagues. It's okay for me to be doing this. Okay. Your, your brain is telling you it's okay. Um, because you are in pain and you're angry and you're hurting and you, you are experiencing moral injury. You know, you've lost your empathy for other humans. You've lost your ability to see past it and see through it. You've lost your ability to uh, see that this is wrong and inappropriate. So you've got the rationalization. You are irrational, but you're making the behavior rational. You'll also have where you're making it okay because somebody has hurt you so you can hurt them. And I felt that. I felt that in my in, in the early days of my uh, the abuse, but also just after it. I, 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 in my head, I, I thought other people should feel the pain I felt. And, and they should see my anger and feel my anger and they should they should acknowledge it so that I could get closure. I had a sort of, not an arrogance, a sense of entitlement to be seen and to be heard. And the thing that was really pushing me on, and it pushes on a lot of MPD abuse victims, was the, the desperation to be believed and acknowledged and for my abuser to be seen and acknowledged as an abuser. And it's really common in empaths in particular. And actually people who are, were good, kind, nice people. You know, we, 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 when we've been abused, we aren't good or kind or nice, but there's still that part of us in there. But we would desperately, desperately want to tell the truth. But because we are also mentally ill and we've been abused and hurt in a very compulsive, dogged way, when we're trying to talk about our abuse and what has happened to us and tell our truth, we appear, yep, you've guessed it, irrational, dogged, compulsive. And for the people on the outside who have not been through what we've been through, they go, oh my God, she or he is nuts. We're acting nuts, but we're not nuts. And particularly when it's playing out on social media and you're not able to sit, you know, with the other people and face to face and, and, and for them to see how unwell uh, you've been made by the abuse. Their empathy is just not there. They're apathetic to it. They, they can't grasp how and why you're behaving this way. And this is all part of your pathway. And I'm doing uh, um, anchor podcasts on here as well on the pathway, the recovery pathway. So you will act in a compulsive way because you're desperate to tell the truth. 
You're desperate to be seen and heard. You're desperate for him or her to pay for what they've done to you. You're desperate for the other people involved in the triangulation and, and, and who are victims or survivors or who who uh, were part of your abuse. You're desperate. So all this desperation, desperation, desperation becomes compulsive. You're also desperately trying to make sense of what's happened. So you will be doggedly reaching out to people you think can help you have closure, reaching out to people you think can answer your questions, reaching out to people you think have done you wrong. So that becomes compulsive as well. And the problem with this is it appears like you are stalking your abuser or anybody else within his circle. And this is dangerous for you, okay? This is dangerous for you because it is a criminal uh, act, but you're not acting in a criminal way on purpose. You're not choosing to behave this way. You're so unwell and you're so desperate for the truth and you're so desperate for closure and you're so desperate to feel better. You're acting like that. And it's really, really difficult. And it's part, it's, it's a real passionate part, part of my sort of campaigning and advocacy is to get uh, police in particular, um, so criminal justice social workers, um, the, anybody working in the criminal justice system, particularly um, procurator fiscals and uh the um, anybody in the criminal justice system really to understand there is a difference between a stalker and someone acting like a stalker and then unpicking why are they acting like that and I have stalkers now and I sit a lot a lot of the time thinking why would she or he do this to me and my kids and I do that and it's part of my job now is to look at sociopaths and psychopaths and what the, the, the behaviours behind stalking and the behaviours behind, you know, um, criminal behaviour. Because I have, as an ex-offender, I have had to do that for myself. And it's very natural for me now to try and look at why compulsive behaviour, which is my best-selling uh, category in Amazon and my, my book, Dangerous Normal People, Understanding Casanova Psychopaths and the Narcissistic Virus, has again peaked again overnight and I and I'm repeatedly getting bestseller status in compulsive behavior because there are many many people out there who behave in a criminal fashion because they're in pain and when we're in pain we 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 endeavor and engage in compulsive behavior such as alcohol drugs promiscuity online inappropriate behavior stalking behaviors and we're criminalizing people in pain and we're criminalizing them because we don't understand so I deliver training on that. But there are indeed some people out there who you can say to them, and I think this is important to say, you are causing me pain, okay? You know, and, and then explain why it causes you pain. You don't need to involve, uh, you know, uh, police or other people in it, you know, because we're all human beings and we're all, you know, to some part in pain. And I understand that. So there is a lot more you can do to help other people other than criminalizing them or labeling them or, or attacking them or trolling them or stalking them yourself. It's about looking at when someone is acting in an in a irate or irrational, compulsive way, more often than not, they're in pain. And why? And is it something you can identify with? Because narcissistic personality disorder abuse is compulsive, so it spits out and creates other compulsive people who have compulsive behaviors and it's you know it's not just the stalking compulsive behavior there can be like i've just said more often than not these people will relapse in addictions i relapsed in an eating disorder i developed an alcohol problem and um, i already have 
obsessive compulsive disorder. I've had it since I was a little girl. Um, you know, it was it, I was a bomb waiting to go off and I'm not on my own in that. There are so many people out there who are abuse victims who act like I did and who act like the people that are doing it to me now and probably will always do it to me um, because I put myself out there and I try to help others because I'm a survivor. I'm not a victim anymore. So compulsive behavior is complex, but if you're interested, my books are online. Um, I write as L.W. Hawksby. I YouTube and I podcast in other parts of this channel um, and I'm on Twitter. So let's let's learn about the hidden issues behind domestic abuse. Let's learn and make things safer and fairer for everyone. Hello everyone, a little bit later on today. Busy morning, interesting boiler situation. Um, Lucy here, so let's do part four of the Narcissistic Personality Disorder Abuse Recovery Pathway. Part four may very well be all about, and it's a painful thing, it's a little thing, but it's a painful thing, the penny dropping. So as we start to learn about narcissistic personality disorder and the abuses that manifest within it, and we start to learn about ourselves and how we came to be in that situation, how we behaved in that situation, why we behaved in that situation, why we reacted that way or didn't react that way, and we start to learn terminology like love bombing, gaslighting, coercive control, and we start to learn all about flying monkeys, and this, they're happening just now as well, which is a bit of a difficult one, really. So you're you're now, you're on stage four, you're coming, you're definitely on your way to recovery, okay? So you've gone over the wall. You're not a victim now. The reason you're not a victim is you've made a conscious decision to not go back up that path to be abused again. You're not as angry or vengeful as other abuse victims that were triangulated or coached and made into flying monkeys with the abuse that you suffered. And you're not as angry or upset or hurt when you see other people moving along the recovery pathway beside and past you, and maybe a wee bit faster than you, okay? So that anger at others, you can be, I see if you wanna stay angry at your abuser, you roll with that, okay? You go with that, you enjoy that, you use that. I use that anger at my abuser and what he did to me to get me up in the morning, to get me sat at my laptop, to have me research, 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 so that I could write dangerous normal people understanding Casanova psychopaths and the narcissistic virus. I use that anger. There is nothing, if that's gonna be your fuel to make you do positive things, it doesn't matter where that negative fuel comes from. If it's anger, you use it. Some people, there's other fuel sources for me, anger because there was no way I was gonna let him, her, the other her, the other her, the other her, the other him, and other people in my life to hold me back. So my wee rocket had plenty of fuel in it, and my third book is out in March. So keep your anger. You don't need to forgive your narcissist, and anyone that tells you what you should do around how you feel towards your narcissist is an idiot. <laughs> okay, so we're on stage four. So you're at a point now where you're, the penny is starting to drop. And what I mean by that is some people call it flashbacks. So particularly when you've got, had been through extreme trauma, repetitive, repetitive, repetitive trauma that followed patterns and pathways like it does with narcissistic personality disorder abuse and domestic abuse and domestic violence, it's over and over and over again. When you've been through that process, your brain goes into what's called the mind fog and it starts trying to protect you by covering up your senses and your awareness 
and your sense of self and your, your what would not what would be natural human paranoia and natural human suspicion and natural human instinct all gets like kind of fogged up and kind of clogged up and you stop seeing and feeling and hearing and noticing and understanding the stuff that a person not in the mind fog of abuse would see. So when you're starting to come through and you're like staggering through the mud and the thickness and the coldness and the dark of that mind fog and you're just starting to come out into the light, what unfortunately happens, but it's kind of a good thing, but at the time it's not nice, it's horrible. We get what other people call flashbacks, but 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 it really the mind fog is lifting and you're starting to go, oh, okay. So that day that he took me for dinner and when I came back from the toilet, he looked really freaked out by what was in his phone and he told me oh everything's fine and I went oh okay and you know right you know that wasn't okay you know something was in that phone something happened he was either messaging someone or someone was messaging him with something he didn't like he didn't want or that scared him while you were in the toilet right yeah but at the time you didn't that was the mind fog protecting you from more trauma because when you're in these abusive relationships where where, where infidelity and constant gaslighting or pop, 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 shooting you again, 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 again. Eventually the mind fog becomes a shield on this war of this relationship, okay, on this battlefield. So it protected you, but it's falling away now. It, 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 you, your soul and your sense of self and your brain is saying, it's okay, let's let this one in. So it starts to let in these little intrusive thoughts and they're intrusive because they hurt, because they stress us out, because they shock us and they make us feel unwell, and they make us get angry again, and they make us go looking for answers. They make us want to contact the narcissist and his side pieces, and they make us want to post online, and they make us want to Google and Google and Google, and they make us want to go contacting his employer and his friends and his family and people who can answer those questions, who can tell you why that penny dropped. They make us do that stuff. One, don't do it. I did it, got arrested, wasn't fun. <laughs> Two, you probably will do it because it's compulsive and you're forgiven. You're forgiven by any normal people who know what it is like to go through this, okay? <laughs> so as the pennies go ping, 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 we have a horrible period of realisation where all these bullets are starting to hit us. You know, like in the Marvel films where you see Captain America, oh my God, he's so sexy. You see Captain America and he holds his shield up and all the bullets are just going ping, 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 ping. This is stage four of narcissistic personality disorder abuse or where you've been domestically, violently, sexually abused by a narcissist who just enjoyed lying and cheating and gaslighting. You are, you are Captain America. You've got your shield, right? And it's going bing, bing, bing. This is a bombardment of truth. Whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. Embrace it because it's going to happen. Resist it. You'll knock yourself even more daft than you already are, Okay. Make notes, write them down. You'll have bad dreams. You might even have night terrors. At one point, I was having 30 night terrors a night. I was hearing voices. People were sitting on me in the bed. They were suffocating me. They were trying to kill me. I had somebody shout in my ear, abuse. I could hear them walking around my house. I could hear my doors open and closing. This was a, it was, it was, I was on the edge of psychosis. I was so stressed and anxious at this stage in the recovery pathway because I was resisting it, because I knew if I reacted to the pennies dropping, I would react in a criminal way. You are stronger than me. You are braver than me. You are calmer than me. And you have someone, you have me, telling you that this is what happens and it's okay. And I didn't have that. 
So you write down your intrusive thoughts, okay? If someone is around that you think can answer those questions who will not report you to police for stalking and harassment, contact them. The thoughts are going to keep coming and they do make sense and you are right. See that time he left the house at a funny time of night and he was gone for an hour and he told you he was putting the cat out? He's a liar. Your suspicions are true. See that time he changed his phone number and told you it was because someone at work was annoying him? He's a liar. Your suspicions were true. See that time she came home and she didn't have any underwear on and she said it was because she had a wee accident, a lady accident. Yeah, she's a liar. What you suspect is true. See that time money disappeared from your account and you asked your narcissist, you asked your abuser, your economic financial abuser, what happened to that money? And they say, oh, I lended it to my mum. And then you speak to his mum and his mum has no idea about it. He's a liar. Your suspicions were true. These things will go on, 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 on. It will continue happening. See, when you ask him, I don't understand why you didn't stop her stalking me or harassing me. Why didn't you do that? And he was going to you, oh, it's too much trouble for me. It's too much stress for me. She's a psycho, right? See that? He's a liar. What you suspected, he was cheating on you. It's true. See, when she says, I don't know why I'm getting all these funny phone calls, all these withheld phone numbers, yeah? And you say, well, why don't you report it to the police? See, when he says, oh, I'm not that bothered about it. He's a liar. What you suspect, he's getting phone calls from a lassie. It's true. This will go on and on and on for a, a quite a sustained period of time. But there is hope. Gradually, the pennies will stop dropping quite so much, quite so fast, quite so hard. And you can drop your shield, okay? Right now, I get a couple a month. So to go from hundreds, well, I would say dozens a day, during what we're already working on, darling, what we're already working on, what we're already trying to survive and function and, 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 and unpick and work through is really difficult. Unfortunately, what you're also going to have around this stage four is flying monkeys and stalkers and harassers because they want to pull you back. They want to stop you moving forward. They want to they want to show that you're a narcissist, that they're his friend, that they can they are they're attacking you and that they believe him. I'll do another podcast on them. But they so you're going to get the pennies dropping and you're going to get the flying monkey. It is a bombardment of attack of truth and people trying to stop you to get to your truth. Morning everyone, Lucy here, um, L.W. Hawksby is my author name. I actually did record this segment, which is the NPD, a Narcissistic Personality Disorder Abuse Recovery Pathway, Stage 4, Part 2. <laughs> and if you remember, if you listened to that podcast, I did give a little sort of heads up that Stage 4 of the Recovery Pathway, where we've got the pennies dro- dropping and the truth coming out and all these realisations and they're quite extreme, other people would describe them as flashbacks. And the fog lifting, that's that stage four. It's all like, oh my God, that's why this happened and that happened and she did that and they did that and he said this. Um, there's actually another kind of section to that that tends to happen around about the same time as this. And, that, and that's what this this little part of the podcast is about. So this is about the flying monkeys. And you've probably already experienced them at this particular stage. And flying monkeys are those people who will do the bidding of their uh, cult leader, which is the narcissist. Um and they will be a mixture of different genders, different social statuses, different parts of uh, the, the narcissist's life. They could be colleagues, family members, exes, current side chicks or side boys or side guys or whatever they're called. They could be uh, close friends of the narcissist. And I use the word friends loosely because narcissists don't care about other people. They, they make people think they're their friend, but they're not because they're obviously getting you in trouble if they're recruiting and then coaching you and supporting you in your flying monkey behaviours um on the uh, in terms of the victim so 
which is you, obviously. So the victim, um, if my dog was licking itself then and I could just hear it under the duvet and I just, and I, it's put me off. <laughs> I think it put you off as well, actually. Right, so the flying monkeys. Flying monkeys will, like I say, they tend to work for the narcissist. They don't really know that they are. Some of them are, are, are very conscious the fact that the narcissist has said to them, can you please message this person or can you call this person or can you stalk this person or do you want to help me open a fake account to stalk this person? So the, the narcissist will, in its most confident state, approach the ones that they trust the most to be manipulated by the narcissist. So that probably will be the ones closest to the narcissist and the ones that have done it before. So the well-practiced exes or the well-practiced fuel sources such as existing sexual partners who the narcissist probably been cheating on you with, they will they will they will say to them in particular because they're already been they're already in the web of relationship with the narcissist. They're close to them. The best pal, the best friend, uh, the 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 closest friend at work, this the the sister who's already enjoyed doing this to previous victims. So there'll be a kind of there'll be a ring of particular honest uh, trusted flying monkeys. Then there'll be a wider ring, which will be the people on social media that the narcissist may never have even met, but they just enjoy the mobbing. They enjoy the drama, the power, um, the, the thrill of the trolling and the, and the mobbing and the online sort of harassment of the victim. And then the wider ring, really, you would probably call enablers and watchers because they might not directly get involved in in the harassment and the bullying and the, the ongoing post-separation abuse that the narcissist is encouraging and enjoying. But they, they're allowing it to happen by watching it. They probably knew what the narcissist was like. They probably knew he or she was a cheat. They probably knew he or she was a bit dodgy or suspect. They probably have seen this happen again and again and again with other victims, Madly in love, abuse, chaos on social media, dumped, blocked, deleted. Oh, here's another one. Same process. So those enablers in that third wider ring, they're allowing this to happen. And I actually did a video on YouTube. If you go to my YouTube, you look up L.W.Hawksby there. I do YouTube tutorials as well. And I did one on how narcissistic abuse plays out in social media. And this flying monkey behavior, this trolling and bullying by people connected to the narcissist or appear not to be connected because they're using fake names and fake accounts is extremely, extremely common. And it isn't just in, in abuse, uh, the ending of, of relationships with narcissists where you've been intimate. It can be families where you've, you've tried to detach yourself from a toxic family, a toxic workplace and a toxic friendship. So this is very common in all of those different contexts. So it's quite an important part. And that's why in stage four, it's, it's, it's so notable and so difficult to cope with. Because, but the one positive, not positive, but the one piece of good, good news I can give you is you're not alone. The flying monkeys are extremely common. And narcissists know this. You know, it works for them because they're not actually putting their neck on the line. They're asking other people to do their dirty work and their bidding and getting themselves in trouble. And I have to say, I I probably at one point was my narcissist's flying monkey. I believed I was just his supportive partner. I believed I was just trying to help someone who was this poor, hard done by bloke who had just so happened to have all these complete psycho exes and unsupportive colleagues and um, particularly women. I and mean, we all know why that was. Um, and why he was having all these difficulties with his addictions and all these difficulties with his work. So he, the pity party at the beginning of the relationship, which is part of love bombing, and the, the narcissist is setting out his stand or his or hers, sorry, or her stand is saying, oh, these things have happened to me in the past. Um, so, you know, be be kind of prepared for that. And this is why it happens per me, per me, per me, per me a drink in his case. And 
<clears throat> so by the time it comes to a stage where you've got you you you're in his relationship with a narcissist and people are starting to kick up a stink he or she will say see i told you this is what she's like i told you this is what he's like so you start then going excuse me and contacting those people and acting like a flying monkey and to a certain extent bullying them you know because you're causing them stress whether they're the good guy or the bad guy is irrelevant really because you shouldn't be doing it you shouldn't be a flying monkey for someone ever in any context because you're putting yourself at risk. You're doing something actually in many extreme cases that is illegal. And <clears throat> it's immoral as well. You know, if the narcissist says this person's done this or that to them, they should fix it and solve it. They shouldn't be messaging you or calling you or inviting you around for a rosé uh, or, or, or anything else to say, could you do me a favour and open up a fake account and let's message this man or this woman and let's troll this man or this woman. You are at that point a flying monkey. You're not a supportive friend. You're not a supportive partner. You're a flying monkey. So, yeah, so it's very difficult stage four. But luckily by now you're starting to become a survivor. You've got over the wall of being a victim because you've made a conscious decision not to go back and you've made a conscious decision to move forward. You are now starting to survive and push on and find a new, good, better life, more aware life. So stage this stage four is designed to drag you back. Flying monkeys will pretend to be your friend as well. They will pretend to be supporting you. They will then be going back and feeding this information to the narcissist. And doesn't this remind you of a playground? And that is the apps. One of the biggest signs of, 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 of a narcissistic abuser is this immaturity and pettiness and gutlessness, and that is a playground bully, isn't it? And narcissists are emotionally stunted. They're socially distorted. They're socially stunted. So they are immature. And that's a, a really big sign of, of someone that behaves this way. It's horrible and it's extremely damaging. Sticks and stones do break your bones. And as you well know, having been in a relationship with, with a psychological abuser like a narcissist, the things they say are far worse, in my experience, than the violence. And they last a lot longer. So uh, flying monkeys very much know exactly what to say and how to say it. And they know how to con you because the narcissist has trained them. And it's it's almost sad for them because they don't know they are simply just another supply, another tool, just like you were. And yeah, so this is stage four, very difficult. But hopefully this insight and, and this sort of awareness raising and ex explanation of why and what is happening right now will help you. And it will also help those of you who are in relationships with narcissists or who have come out of them but are still in the kind of the fog of, of despair and hatred towards other victims or, or the person that he's left you for. And you can sort of sit back and go, actually, am I, am I behaving like a flying monkey? Am I doing actually exactly what the narcissist wants me to do? And I, I just wish I had had this awareness when I was in the relationship and I was supporting him and backing him up and contacting people and, and lying for him without knowing it was because he was obviously lying to me. So... Yeah, the next the next podcast will be stage five in the recovery pathway. And we're starting to get we're starting to get there now. And uh, again, thank you so much for buying my books. The first book, Dangerous Normal People, Understanding Casanova Psychopaths and the Narcissistic Virus is out. And that's about all of this stuff that I'm teaching you. My second book, which was inspired by a true suspicious death in Wales, is out. That's called The Notch. And my third book, The Forgivers Club, is just, just, just finished and is about to go to my publisher in the next few days. Thanks for your support. Thanks for your kindness. And uh, I'll speak to you soon. Morning, everyone. Lucy here. Um, L.W. Hawksby is my author name. I 
actually did record this segment, which is the NPD, a Narcissistic Personality Disorder Abuse Recovery Pathway, Stage 4, Part 2. <laughs> and if you remember, if you listened to that podcast, I did give a little sort of heads up that Stage 4 of the Recovery Pathway, where we've got the pennies dro- dropping and the truth coming out and all these realisations and they're quite extreme, other people would describe them as flashbacks, and the fog lifting, that's that stage four. It's all like, oh my God, that's why this happened and that happened and she did that and they did that and he said this. Um, there's actually another kind of section to that that tends to happen around about the same time as this and, that, and that's what this this little part of the podcast is about. So this is about the flying monkeys and you've probably already experienced them at this particular stage and flying monkeys are those people who will do the bidding of their uh, cult leader, which is the narcissist. Um and they will be a mixture of different genders, different social statuses, different parts of uh, the, the narcissist's life. They could be colleagues, family members, exes, current side chicks or side boys or side guys or whatever they're called. They could be uh, close friends of the narcissist. And I use the word friends loosely because narcissists don't care about other people. They, they make people think that they're a friend, but they're not because they're obviously getting you in trouble if they're recruiting and then coaching you and supporting you in your flying monkey behaviours um on the uh, in terms of the victim so which is you obviously so the victim um if my dog was licking itself then and i could just hear it under the duvet and i just and i it's put me off <laughs> i think it put you off as well actually right so the flying monkeys flying monkeys will like i say they tend to work for the narcissist they don't really know that they are some of them are are, are very conscious the fact that the narcissist has said to them can you please message this person, or can you call this person, or can you stalk this person, or do you want to help me open a fake account to stalk this person? So the, the narcissist will, in its most confident state, approach the ones that they trust the most to be manipulated by the narcissist. So that probably will be the ones closest to the narcissist and the ones that have done it before. So the well-practiced exes or the well-practiced fuel sources, such as existing sexual partners who the narcissist probably been cheating on you with, they will, they will, they will say to them in particular because they're already been, they're already in the web of relationship with the narcissist. They're close to them, the best pal, the best friend, uh, the 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 closest friend at work, this the the sister who's already enjoyed doing this to previous victims. So there'll be a kind of ri- there'll be a ring of particular honest, uh, trusted flying monkeys. Then there'll be a wider ring, which will be the people on social media that the narcissist may never have even met, but they just enjoy the mobbing, they enjoy the drama, the power. Um, the the thrill of the trolling and the and the mobbing and the online sort of harassment of the victim, and then the wider ring really you would probably call enablers and watchers because they might not directly get involved in in the harassment and the bullying and the the ongoing post separation abuse that the narcissist is encouraging and enjoying, but they they're allowing it to happen by watching it. They probably knew what the narcissist was like. They probably knew he or she was a cheat. They probably knew he or she was a bit dodgy or suspect. They probably have seen this happen again and again and again with other victims. Madly in love, abuse, chaos on social media, dumped, blocked, deleted. Oh, here's another one. Same process. So those enablers in that third wider ring, they're allowing this to happen. And I actually did a video on YouTube. If you go to my YouTube, you look up L.W.Hawksby there. I do YouTube tutorials as well. And I did one on how narcissistic abuse plays out on social media. And this flying monkey 
behaviour, this trolling and bullying by people connected to the narcissist or appear not to be connected because they're using fake names and fake accounts is extremely, extremely common. And it isn't just in, in abuse, uh, the ending of, of relationships with narcissists that where you've been intimate. It can be families where you've, you've tried to detach yourself from a toxic family, a toxic workplace and a toxic friendship. So this is very common in all of those different contexts. It's quite an important part. And that's why in stage four, it's, it's, it's so notable and so difficult to cope with. Because, but the one positive, not positive, but the one piece of good, good news I can give you is you're not alone. The flying monkeys are extremely common. And narcissists know this. You know, it works for them because they're not actually putting their neck on the line. They're asking other people to do their dirty work and their bidding and getting themselves in trouble. And I have to say, I I probably at one point was my narcissist's flying monkey. I believed I was just his supportive partner. I believed I was just trying to help someone who was this poor, hard done by bloke who had just so happened to have all these complete psycho exes and unsupportive colleagues and um, particularly women, and we, we all know why that was, um, and why he was having all these difficulties with his addictions and all these difficulties with his work. So he, the pity party at the beginning of the relationship, which is part of love bombing, and the, the narcissist is setting out his stand or his, or hers, sorry, or her stand is saying, oh, these things have happened to me in the past. Um, so, you know, be, be kind of prepared for that. And this is why it happens. Poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me a drink in his case. And <clears throat> so by the time it comes to a stage where you've got, you're in a relationship with a narcissist and people are starting to kick up a stink, he or she will say, see, I've told you this is what she's like. I told you this is what he's like. So you start then going, excuse me, and contacting those people and acting like a flying monkey and to a certain extent bullying them, you know, because you're causing them stress. Whether they're the good guy or the bad guy is irrelevant really because you shouldn't be doing it. You shouldn't be a flying monkey for someone ever in any context because you're putting yourself at risk. You're doing something actually in many extreme cases that is illegal. And <clears throat> it's immoral as well. You know, if the narcissist says this person's done this or that to them, they should fix it and solve it. They shouldn't be messaging you or calling you or inviting you around for a rosé uh, or, or, or anything else to say, could you do me a favour and open up a fake account and let's message this man or this woman and let's troll this man or this woman. You are at that point a flying monkey. You're not a supportive friend. You're not a supportive partner. You're a flying monkey. So, yeah, so it's very difficult stage four. But luckily by now you're starting to become a survivor. You've got over the wall of being a victim because you've made a conscious decision not to go back and you've made a conscious decision to move forward. You are now starting to survive and push on and find a new, good, better life, more aware life. So stage this stage four is designed to drag you back. Flying monkeys will pretend to be your friend as well. They will pretend to be supporting you. They will then be going back and feeding this information to the narcissist. And doesn't this remind you of a playground? And that is the abs- one of the biggest signs of, 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 of a narcissistic abuser is this immaturity and pettiness and gutlessness and that is a playground bully isn't it and narcissists are emotionally stunted they're socially distorted they're socially stunted so they are immature and that's a a really big sign of of someone that behaves this way it's horrible and it's extremely damaging sticks and stones do break your bones and as you well know having been in a relationship with with a psychological abuser like a narcissist the things they say are far worse in my experience than the violence 
and they last a lot longer. So uh, flying monkeys very much know exactly what to say and how to say it. And they know how to con you because the narcissist has trained them. And it's it's almost sad for them because they don't know they are simply just another supply, another tool, just like you were. And yeah, so this is stage four, very difficult, but hopefully this insight and, and this sort of awareness raising and ex explanation of why and what is happening right now will help you. And it will also help those of you who are in relationships with narcissists or who have come out of them but are still in the kind of the fog of, of despair and hatred towards other victims or, or the person that he's left you for. And you can sort of sit back and go, actually, am I, am I behaving like a flying monkey? Am I doing actually exactly what the narcissist wants me to do? And I, I just wish I had had this awareness when I was in the relationship and I was supporting him and backing him up and contacting people and, and lying for him without knowing it was because he was obviously lying to me. So... Yeah, the next the next podcast will be stage five in the recovery pathway. And we're starting to get we're starting to get there now. And uh, again, thank you so much for buying my books. The first book, Dangerous Normal People, Understanding Casanova Psychopaths and the Narcissistic Virus is out. And that's about all of this stuff that I'm teaching you. My second book, which was inspired by a true suspicious death in Wales, is out. That's called The Notch. And my third book, The Forgivers Club, is just, just, just finished and is about to go to my publisher in the next few days. Thanks for your support. Thanks for your kindness. And uh, I'll speak to you soon.